Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This morning, we have a guest in the from the holy city of Jerusalem. Um, I actually found out about this man uh, a couple years ago. He was nominated as one of our Orthodox Jewish All-Stars. Um, and he made it to our list in 2013. Uh, he has a little bit of an unusual story in that he is both a Hasidic Jew and rabbi and also uh, a business specialist, marketing guru. He was named one of um, Inc. Magazine's top 10 entrepreneurs of the year. And uh, today joining us is Rabbi Isamar Ginsberg. Rabbi Ginsberg, welcome to Jew in the City Speaks. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, how's uh, how's everything in uh, Jerusalem? Are you getting any uh, snow there recently, or we're having a we're having a sandstorm? So for the past day or so, it's been absolutely horrible to go outside. It's hard to breathe. Oh my goodness! But Baruch Hashem, we're here and we're happy to be here. Um, I guess so. We can't complain so much about the uh, the weather than here. Um, so, but you did not start out in Jerusalem. You are originally uh, Brooklyn based, or uh, you Brooklyn born and bred, correct? Correct. And can you tell us My a little bit about your... My hospital in Borough Park is where I was born. And, and you come from a Hasidic background, and not just Hasidic, but um, as you taught me the term Rebish. Could you explain what that means and, and sort of, you know, what uh, uh, Rebish families you're connected to? I have to start with a little Torah to answer that question. Sure. My grandfather, Rabbi Chaim Menachem Ginsburg, the Rebbe of Minneapolis, used to say... Says, who is a shoyta, who isn't basically an idiot, someone who sleeps in the cemetery. So he used to say that when someone sleeps, as in somebody lays, his head lays in the cemetery, he's busy all day long, I'm a grandson of this rabbi and that rabbi, and he's an idiot, because even though it's obviously very valuable and very important and something that I treasure, it's certainly not something that I walk around all day long telling people, hey, you know I'm a grandson of this rabbi, hey, you know I'm related to that rabbi. Having given you that little introduction, <laughs> um, pretty much my family background, the maiden names of my, you know, my, my mother, my grandmother, so on and so forth, are Tursky, Rubin, Shapiro, Leifer, Rosenbaum. Um, so it's basically connects me pretty much with most of the different Hasidic courts, and most of the different rabbis today are my relatives. And how about what sort of what school or... Like, what community would you say you're part of now? Is that a good question? Like, what type of Hasidus are you connected with? Or Okay, so I'm connected with many different Rebbes. Um, if I had to pick one, if I tried to put a, uh, you know, square peg into a round hole, I would, I'm a Skvera Hasid. I'm a Hasid Skvera Rebbe from New Square, New York. And is that the schools that you went to? You went to Square schools? No, I grew up, I grew up in Flatbush. I went to Bubba as a child. Um... But again, we're family with him. My grandmother was a Twersky, and uh, that's the Rebbe we're closest with. Got it. So you did something a little bit more unusual than your average kid going to Bubba school. You you got into marketing and uh, business, and can you tell us a little bit about how, when, and how you took um, a more unusual direction in terms of your career? Okay. First of all, when I was a kid, I sort of always had this entrepreneurial streak. I um, I used to when some of your you know some of the listeners may remember this, but there used to be something called America Online and CompuServe and Prodigy and uh, these modems that used to work in 9600 or 2400 board, which is like very 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 slow compared to the, the high speed internet we have today. I found a company in California. I still remember the name was Zubair. Abu Zubair was selling computers, uh, 386 Windows computers for 200 dollars a piece. 
I bought them and sold them via the classifieds in New York for $300 a piece, and that was probably my first big, um, you know, my first real selling things that I purchased, some, sourced someplace else, and selling them locally over and over, rinse, wash, How, and how old are you? I must have been at the time about 13. And where did you get such an idea that you're going to become this, uh, you know, business person or I'm saying it's your average 13-year-old? I would say even secular, but I think a lot of people have impressions of the Hasidish community, not so much contact with the outside world, you know, kind of sitting and studying Torah all day. Where did this idea come to you that you could do such a thing or it was possible? Well, I was actually looking to, at the time, I was looking to buy a computer for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I saw this computer and I realized that it was so much cheaper than the ones that were for sale in the New York City area, I, I was going to buy one for myself. And then mm-hmm. I figured, you know, let me try to sell it. And then when I saw I can make pretty much 50% on my money, which it wasn't even my money, my father was basically laying it out for me, yeah. um, I, I took it to the next level. But, but what I got from that whole experience essentially was understanding that you can buy something and you can use technology like the Internet, which at that point, again, still was brand spanking new, but still today you can store something and sell it someplace else and make a nice, you know, spread between what you bought it for and what you're paying, you know, what you're, and what you can sell it for. So then you were more of an entrepreneur and selling products, but then you moved more into business strategy and marketing. Uh, so, so what that really taught me was essentially the power of the Internet. It wasn't so much about what I sold or what I bought. It was about the power of the Internet and how the Internet means that I can be a Hasidic boy in yeshiva full-time who on the side can do something that's very profitable. That's what, you know, that, that, was a big aware, that was a big opening of a new world to me, which led me ultimately to understanding that the Internet can be used to sell services as well as products, as well as contact anybody out there, um, you know, and, and sort of essentially the world is flat, especially today. Uh, one of the things I did, just as an example, was I created a collection of icons for the computer, and then I put them up on a website where people were, would share software, you know, new, new software with each other, and that became, that ultimately got into magazines and got into the Massachusetts Institute of Technology mm-hmm. online hyper-archive of Macintosh software. That led to me getting checks from all over the world for my software, and that made me want to do it again and again and again. So. There's plenty of opportunity out there, which some of which I was, you know, Baruch Hashem, lucky enough to understand at a deeper level than most people do, and um, essentially learn in ha- just in how many ways those different modern communication techniques can be harnessed to profit and to grow businesses and so on and so forth. So now you say the power of the internet, but in, in the Haredi and Hasidic circles, it's a little bit of a sticky situation. There was the internet asifa and saying that people shouldn't have internet, but are, are most people, I'm saying if they're using it for business, if they're using a filter, is it mo- are most people sort of walking around in your community trying to be in both worlds in that way? Is that what the solution that I mean, most people I mean, have let's, found? Let, let's not kid ourselves. The um, internet has plenty of terrible, terrible, terrible side effects. Um, we all know tons and tons of people who, besides whatever business they may be doing on the Internet, are also wasting. I don't necessarily mean they're going to sites that are non-kosher. I just mean, as a rule, they're wasting tons of time just, you know, browsing the news or, or playing games or whatever. Um, it, is a, it is a tool that can be used for business and should be used for business. And tons of, I mean, many, many, many Haredi, Hasidic, and non-Hasidic entrepreneurs 
and business people use the Internet, many businesses are based on the Internet, it's about being aware about the very, very dark other side of the Internet and staying as far away from that as possible. And as Hasidic Jews, we want to essentially protect ourselves, which a filter helps us do. I mean, if somebody wants to outsmart a filter, believe me, they can. Yeah. And um, so just in terms of sort of how you became self-taught, so you're doing these different businesses, and then how did becoming the marketing guru or the business strategy Okay, so then, you know, we're, we're skipping around all the different stories, but what happened was that one of the things I was learning online was about credit scoring and FICO scoring and how every person has what they think is their credit report, but really they have three credit reports because while they may be mostly the same, the three major credit unions each have their own file on you, um, and once you start it, once you learn about that, you realize that if you know which one of the three credit bureaus a certain bank is going to look at, then you can actually get a very different credit line. You know, whether you get approved or not, what kind of rate they'll give you, what kind of what kind of uh, benefits they'll give you, and a lot of that is based around what they see in your credit report. So anyway, I started researching this and the different and how to raise your credit score and how to and how to essentially. Um, when it comes to mortgages, they check all three, and they go by the middle score. So the goal becomes understanding, okay, what are my three scores? And if I can make the middle score as high as or higher than my current high, highest score, then the previously high score becomes my middle score, and that can make a difference of tens of thousands of dollars in savings in a mortgage. Once so I got to know about credit scoring, fun? I started learning about business credit. And Dun & Bradstreet, I started advising people a little bit just you know, for fun, essentially, how, how this stuff works and how, why it's important. Ultimately, I became known in a, one of the credit forums as being an expert on credit. Mm. And then at that point, I took a different idea, which was I paid somebody $50 to create for me a little tool which logged into the website as me and copied over every post that I'd ever written about credit, into, just dumped it into a Word document. And once I had that document, with permission of the um, website owners, actually, um, I then turned that into my first ebook, which was called mm. Business Credit Secrets, and started selling that online. Mm. Started writing articles, started learning about how to promote products online, how to get SEO, how to get people searching for information to come and buy your product. That led me to a list of buyers. That led me into affiliate marketing. People were selling my product for me. And ultimately, that list became a list of people who had businesses, because if they wanted information about business credit, that meant that they had businesses they wanted to improve. And that's how I sort of backed into becoming a business advisor, not only in the area of credit, but in business in general. So you educate yourself. You start writing about the stuff that you've learned to sort of turn yourself into the expert and then disseminating it, and then essentially you become the expert when, once people recognize that. Is that sort of the plan for anyone at home who's taking notes? Um, a little bit, sort of. Essentially, whatever I'm teaching or whatever I'm explaining to people is based on originally what I personally have done and learned from my experiences, combined with a whole lot of what I've done, Baruch Hashem, at this point, for many, many clients, including uh, Fortune 500 companies, major organizations, public, you know, publicly traded firms, um, and essentially, yes, what happens to most people is most people are scared to move out of that comfort zone and say, I am an expert at this, I understand about this. I mean, just, just about yourself, you in the city, I mean, did somebody come to you one day and said, okay, Allison, I give you permission, you are now entitled to create an organization, to open a movement, to open a website, to, to, 
people wait for somebody to come and sort of crown them that they now have permission to do something, and that's sure. just a restriction people have in their head that doesn't really exist. For sure. No, I'm so a big, I, I'm a big believer in that. you know you have the expertise, it's about having the guts, having the knowledge of how to get out there and make that much bigger and make that something that people are helped by and know about. Yeah, I, look, I think uh, when approaching business, um, the, the way that the Jewish people accepted the Torah, Nasev and Ishma, first we'll do and then we'll learn about it is a, a very important lesson in that just got to get going, get yourself in it, and then... Um, you become an expert through the act of, of doing and learning. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of your more interesting clients that, uh, that you've worked with that people might have heard before? Um, or you can't, you can't mention uh, those well, things? One of my claims to fame, let's put it this way, one of my claims to fame is that I spoke for Google and I spoke for the Jewish National Fund, hmm. two of my claims to fame. The reason why, I picking, why I'm picking on those two is because Google, for example, if they would have told me, listen, we, we, you know, you can come speak for us, but we're not going to, you have to sign on the dotted line that you'll never tell anyone you spoke here, then I probably wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Because the goal of speaking there is essentially equivalent to, if, at this point, maybe even more than a college degree. Yeah. When somebody has spoken in places, that gives the person a tremendous amount of credibility. It's, in psychology, it's known as basking in reflected glory. People who follow sports, which I don't, people who follow sports, when their team wins, they say, we won. Yeah. And when their own team loses, they say they lost. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, some, when, when there's something, of, something famous, something credible, something known, people try to attach themselves to that known, known item. As another example of that, many websites don't know this very simple technique, which is if you write, we ship FedEx, or you write, we accept Visa MasterCard, any of those kind of credibility angles or seals, Will give, a, will give a tremendous boost of credibility to your own product or service because people see the millions upon millions of dollars that Visa and MasterCard spend on marketing. You can bask in that glory, essentially, by having it used on your site because you take credit cards. It gives you that credibility that you may not otherwise have, and it makes people much more likely to take that step when they're on the fence and actually buy from you. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. No, for sure. Like, as... Uh... Jew in the City has grown, and we've named these Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, um, especially the ones that are more known, connected to more known companies. It, uh, it's for sure that um, it, it raises our profile as well. We've definitely seen that. Um, do you think that you defy stereotypes um, of what people think a Hasidic man would be when you're meeting with these different clients, speaking at these different places? Have you ever heard of people comment to you, huh, you're different than what I thought you might be? Uh, certainly. It's one of my goals is actually to break the stereotype. Um, I think that people look at Haredi Jews with a certain, I mean, look, we're like the Amish in a certain way, except that we live next door. We don't live in our own communities in the, you know, in, I don't know where, in Pennsylvania. We live and we, we, we uh, the average person who's sitting next to you on the train thinks you're, uh, I'm, you know, I'm speaking now, looking at my own community from the outside, thinks you're quite weird. Yeah. If, if, they're, ne- if they're never spoken to anyone like you, they, they, they just have you know, all these, like, mistaken impressions of what your personal life and what your professional life might be like, I, I understand them. I mean, I've gone to places where they thought I came to collect tzedakah. They didn't realize I was the speaker. I've gone to places where, where um, the security outside wouldn't let me into the event. Hmm. They were, like, interrogating me. What are you doing here? Uh, you know, you, do you have an invitation? You know, are you allowed to be here? Wow. At one point, I just, like, called up on the inside. Somebody and said, please come get me. I'm stuck at the front of the hmm. hotel. 
But, wow. but yes, I mean, being, doing, one, the reason, one of the reasons I use the, the, you know, my name as Rabbi Summer Ginsburg, I don't have a problem if someone calls me Summer. Uh, the reason I use the word Rabbi is, is ultimately because it helps people know in advance you know, what I probably look I use my picture as well because it helps people know what I look like and, and it helps me not surprise them when I walk in. So when, before I come, they already know what I look like. You know, in business in general, just as an aside, in business in general, the more your clients or potential clients know you before they meet you, the easier it is. So yeah. if you've spoken to them on the phone, they know what you sound like. If they've seen your picture, they know what you look like. The more ways in which they've, they've, they've sort of gotten to know you beforehand, the easier that meeting will be. Do you think that in some ways, although it sounds like your Hasidic appearance has initially turned some people off, do you think in some ways it has actually made you more unique and stand out in this field? Well, if somebody has 50 people that they meet in this, at a networking event or, or, or on an average business day, 49 of them, 50 people, 49 of them are, you know, suit, tie, dressed a certain way, clean-shaven, uh, crew-cut, and then you have one guy who looks like me. While I have a harder time getting in the door, once you've met those 50 people, which one are you going to remember? Right. And how about the different media appearances that you've had? Like, is there, are there any stories behind how you've gotten on Fox or CNBC or, you know, the different bigger platforms that you've been able to... Uh, well, well, I got onto CNN from being, in, from being, you know, one of Jewish in the City's top ten and, you know, winners, Orthodox Jewish All Stars. So <laughs> that's certainly one of them that I got. Yeah. But how did I get media attention? Okay. Media, I'm taking notes now. Uh, your friend. It's important for people to know that the media is not your friend. When you and they have something in common at a given point in time, then media can work out well. Um. Most of the media that I've gotten, essentially, I have, I have a, one of my clients who has a friend who's in media, and after meeting me and consulting with me, he told his friend about me. His friend um, got me onto basically the Israeli version of the Wall Street Journal, which is known as Globes. Okay. And then once Globes did a write-up on me, a video about me, so suddenly, I mean, the phone was ringing off the hook from all the Haredi publications, at least, mm -hmm. asking me if they can interview me. Um, so it's sort of coming from, in, in the Haredi world, in the Jewish world, in our culture, one of the things that we have, which I think is a negative in a certain respect, is that we believe the outside world better than we believe ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when, when somebody in the outside world says, the Summer Ginsburg, you know, is, is, knows business, understands business and psychology or whatever, we trust that much more than we trust the guy next to us in shul. Mm -hmm. So while many people come to me and say, listen, I, you know, I'm willing to pay and I can't get media attention, Baruch Hashem, you know, I've never paid for media attention and I get requests. I mean, National Geographic came to me. They wanted to do an eight-hour, an eight-episode series about Hasidic Jews with me as sort of the center figure of it. Wow. And then ultimately what happened was that after the deal was all, you know, signed and batted, some... Someone who works for National Geographic, uh, who was on maternity leave, came back and said, listen, the show about the Amish didn't do so well, so for now we're going to shelve this one. And <laughs> the people who put the show the together were crushed. I mean, this was a signed deal, and I mean, at least for me, it would have been uh, at least seven digits. But he was crushed. He said, hey, you know, how are you taking this so well? I said, listen, Baruch Hashem, as a religious Jew, I believe that everything that happens is for the best. So obviously it's better for me that this didn't happen. Who knows where this would have led, possibly someplace not so great, and therefore... Whatever happens, I'm happy because if it would have happened, then 
you know, as, I, would, I would have helped break stereotypes. I would have done something positive for the community. But if it's not meant to happen, then that's what's best for me. And that's what's best. So why would I be crushed about it? So let me ask you a question. And, you know, because, they, they were you know, very, very impressed and happy with that. So that was at least one way to make a kid Hashem. You're obviously very open and, you know, interacting with the, the larger world. Chabad is a group within the Hasidic world that's a little bit different, that's known for interacting, for doing media appearances. There are certainly, though, wouldn't you say, many parts of the non-Chabad Hasidic world that wouldn't go on camera, that wouldn't want to interact in such a way with the outside world. It was just how you were raised, just was the philosophy of your parents or your community made you more open to wanting to interact in these ways? That's a good question. <laughs> Chabad is essentially, you know, it's a Hasidic sect, right? Which was, you know, I mean, it's very, it's very unique. I mean, of course, when you're, if you're trying to make a line down the middle and say Hasidic versus non-Hasidic, then Chabad is on the Hasidic side. Sure. But Chabad is not, I mean, I wouldn't actually classify Chabad as one of the many Hasidic sects because it's a very different type of approach where there, you have, you know, Shlichem, you have Chabad the Hasidim living in, in all the, you know, all different towns in the boondocks all over the place where they basically just sit and are there for, um, for the community to help the community and give Shabbos meals or whatnot. But it's certainly not representative of any Hasidic group, you know, in, in the general Hasidic world. Sure. Um, I think most, a lot of it comes from the fact that we have a sneaking suspicion, sometimes valid, sometimes not, that the media is out to get us. Mm-hmm. And it makes people want to shy away because you don't want to, you know, I mean, I was once asked to appear on CNN um, to discuss the, the segregation of buses in Israel. Hmm. And they, I turned it down. And people, you know, people are like, what, are you turning it down? And, you know, you can be on prime, I mean, it could be worth a lot of money to you, a lot of visibility to you. And yeah. I'm like, listen, why do they want me to come on CNN? They want me to come on CNN as the person defending segregated busing, women in the back, men in the front. Now, I may practice, and I may be eloquent, and I may have what to say, but there's just no way that you're going to come out the winner in an online debate between two people where the other person is representing modern, progressive thinking, and you're defending, you know, being backward um, 1960s South, essentially. You know, I, I hear that. I was just um, asked to go into HuffPost Live, uh, which I did earlier in the week, to speak about marital intimacy. Um, and I was a little bit concerned about where the conversation would lead. But I also was afraid that if I didn't come on and speak, then maybe, you know, there were positive things that could be said that wouldn't be shared. So I think, you know, for me growing up as a secular Jew, I always saw the Hasidic Jew is so serious and so different and just, you know, like the Amish, like, but I don't know, almost mean in that sort of way. So I think as much as, you know, someone like you and other um, Hasidim can be out there and show the friendly side and the, the side that wants to engage, I think even amongst, you know, the, the non-Haredi population, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings within the Orthodox community about the nuance in the Hasidic world. I've learned about that more since I've gotten to become uh, better friends with some Hasidic women, that um, it's not a monolithic group, just like the modern Orthodox world and the Yeshivish world and the Chabad world all have, you know, sort of different, you know, more to the right, more to the left, more in the center. The same thing goes with, uh, with the Hasidic world. Um, have you ever met any 
kids, any boys in uh, in your community that looked at what you're doing and said, uh, Rabbi Ginsburg, you've inspired me now to start selling, you know, widgets or whatever and, you know, become an entrepreneur okay, like you? So, uh, first of all, I mean, I've had people come over to me with their children saying, you know, Rabbi Ginsburg, my, my son adores you. I mean, I've been places, I was in London and people, like, uh, kids came over to me, like, in the bakery and, like, are you, are you, the, are you the one, like... Huh. It's it's kind of weird to have so many people know me, even though I don't know them. I know the feeling. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. But you know, I've spoken for Satmar. I've spoken in Kiryas Seoil. I've spoken to Vision. I've, you know, I've worked with Vision. I've spoken for Lubavitch and Queens College by the JLI. Um, and I've spoken to many. You know, for, for I've spoken to United Synagogue in England, and I've spoken to many not for non-religious and non-Jewish groups as well. Um, I do think that just like this, this, this you know, unfortunately growing. Um, a man of youth who are disappointed with their Jewish upbringing and their sort of, you know, kids at risk, as they call it, or, yeah. or, or um, Kirov Kirovim, or there's all different kinds of ways people call it and people see the problem with some people who are unhappy with their Judaism, unfortunately. Yeah. And I know you've been involved in that and, you know, and helping with that situation. Yeah. But I think that it, if you think about it, it's the same um, trajectory, I guess, as many in the Hasidic community who are being more open with the outside world, meaning whenever you take an insular community and you say, okay, listen, you know, the Holocaust is behind us, and yeah. we're living in a democracy, it's a free country, and um, just like we can live our lives the way we want and we can vote, and it, you know, one man, one vote, just like there's all that, and just like some people, unfortunately, have had a, somewhat of a disappointing experience, the same direction that pushed those people, meaning the same forces that sort of push those people away from uh, Yiddishkeit is the same one that makes many people within the community who would once never think of talking to a, you know, a non-Jewish neighbor, let's call it, because they felt uncomfortable, suddenly they're more, more comfortable with it because the entire Haredi society has essentially moved more toward being outgoing and friendly with the outside world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the positive side. Has there been any negative feedback? Any people saying you shouldn't be so out there in the world? You shouldn't be working with these non-Jewish companies or on secular media? Any feedback like that? In every community, there's always going to be somebody who's an idiot and somebody who's um, unhappy with what other people are doing. There's always, you know, there's always, just like there's always, you know, there's a famous story about the Jewish mother who sent her child three shirts to school. And when, when she met the son, like a month later, the son was wearing one of the shirts. And the, mom, the mother's like, hey, what's the matter? You didn't like the other shirts? <laughs> so there's this sort of people, a lot of times have to have what to say and have to show their importance. And people sometimes are unhappy with the fact that they haven't done much in life and the way, their way of accomplishing something is by trying to push somebody else down. I once did an interview with, in Mishpacha magazine, and the topic was about the Nature Karta. And one of the things I mentioned there was, was that Satmar, which does not exactly um, love the state of Israel, the modern-day state of Israel, to put it lightly, is not the Maturei Karta, which is a, a small group of people who are, who are like basically hugging Arafat and protesting with the Palestinians and all that. Yeah. However, as I said in, in the interview, since they don't come out and condemn, for the most part, the Maturei Karta, and since they all wear the same kind of hats and the same kind of clothing... When someone from the Nitori Karta says, we have hundreds of thousands of followers. Hello? 
Is someone? They are. Hello? Yeah. Hello. You're you're uh, you're breaking up there a little bit. Can you hear me? I hear you. Okay. Can you want to try that again? We said when when someone from Naturi Carta says we have hundreds of thousands of followers, that's where we lost you. So when, so when the Naturi, you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. So when the Naturi Carta says we have hundreds of thousands of followers, and Satmar doesn't come out saying you're not us, we're not you, we're different, even if we don't agree, even if we agree that the state of Israel, you know, as far as Satmar is concerned, does not represent us, but we're not. We don't say what you say. We don't believe what you believe. We don't go hugging. Palestinians and protesting on Shabbos morning with, with Palestinian flags around their necks. Ultimately, what happens is, is that the outside world sees these few, you know, few loudmouths as representing a large portion of Haredi Jewry. So I yeah. said this in an interview in Mishpacha magazine, which is a magazine for the community, and I had one guy come over, you know, who I knew to some degree, somebody who lived in my neighborhood, and he has not spoken to me since then for having the chutzpah to say such a thing. So you always got one, you know, a, a couple of people who are eccentric and weird and whatever. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, no, I haven't had any, any, um, I haven't had any resistance to what I'm doing. And um, again, I have kosher internet and a kosher phone, and uh, and you know, we re- we reached we reached a point where I don't believe anybody out there says anymore, do not use the internet. They could say don't have internet at home. I'm talking about yeah. even even in, among the very 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 Hasidic people, they'll say don't have it at home. Use a filter. This this idea about don't use the internet is akin to saying don't have a telephone. Right. Are there some people out there who don't have a phone? Probably. I, I, I spoke I spoke last week, uh, last month actually. I spoke someplace and somebody said when they introduced me, they said he spoke for this organization and that organization. And then he said, if you don't know who, what Google is, please let me know. I'd like to come to you for a bracha, for a blessing. Because if at this day and age you still don't know what Google is, then you're worthy of my coming to you to get a blessing from you because you're obviously not involved in the mundane, only in the holy. And I don't think anybody raised their hand that they didn't know what it was because at this day and age, this is where society is, and we're doing yeah. our best with the, to use the tools that Hashem has given this generation to... Rabbi Ginsburg, thank you so much for, for being on today. We're out of time, but we really appreciate uh, you sharing your story and your journey, and uh, you should have a lot of success and inspire others. And thank you for joining us on Jew in the City Speaks.